Good morning. It's good to be here again. Actually, Justin, I was here the Sunday before you came. I don't know if you realize how close that was. I tried not to throw you under the bus since you were on your way in, but it's so good to be back and to be here with you. I've been to Monroe City Church several times over the years. I've had friends here, and my youth ministry did things in conjunction with your youth ministry back in the day. I remember kids like Josh and Ben Reynolds and some great kids from this church that I met through Camp Challenge and got to know through the years. So it's good to be here with you today. And when I was here about a year ago, I shared with you that I had some limited knowledge of your church. And some of the things that I knew were the way you invested and supported that Indiana South Youth Choir. Bill and Margie Clampett are from my home church. And so if you know those names, they directed that choir for over 30 years. And they were my youth leaders when I was in youth group. Is that crazy? Now I'm telling you how old I am. But uh, anyway, I knew you supported that choir. I knew that you sent students to conventions and to camps. And I knew that you um, were investing in your, your local community through your VBS programs that I always heard were off the charts and really, really good to reach this community. And so I already knew those things about you. And I hear now that you're bringing Dara on full time, which is really exciting. And so I'm hoping that what I share with you today is really just affirmation of the things that you're already doing. And that you already share with me a belief that the next generation is very important and it's important for us to minister to them. And so during our time together today, I want us to address two questions. The first one is, why do we invest in youth and children's ministry? Why is that so important? And then the second question is, what roles do we play? Because I believe that every single person in your church has a role to play, whether directly or indirectly, you are able to have an impact and are already having an impact on the next generation. And I want, as we start, just for a moment to talk about families, the family unit. Because families start with the parents, and in most families, parents have the greatest influence and the most time to invest in their kids' lives. It just makes sense, right? You are the ones who taught them how to talk and to walk and to feed themselves and to go to the bathroom. Praise the Lord when they could go to the bathrooms by themselves, right? But you taught them that. And those first three years of life are some of the most important while they're learning speech and they're developing their brains and those language skills. And I think that we underestimate sometimes the importance of parents and what you teach your kids. You are your, parent, your kids' first and best teachers. But that responsibility goes beyond just teaching them about physical development and their intellectual and academic development. It goes to their spiritual development as well. Parents are responsible to start that education for their kids. And it's the church's job to come alongside parents to partner with them in these efforts. Church, your job is to celebrate with families when things are going well and they're on top of the world. We love to celebrate with people. It's also your job to come alongside them when they're struggling and when life is hard to give them support. Because every family unit that comes together to make up your church, whether you have a household of one or two or three, or if you have several kids, every family is important. Every family matters. And so the church wants to come alongside them to support them. Now, I know that here you have your MC Kids program. Your kids are there right now. They're back there, and they're learning age-appropriate teaching while you sit in this room and have age-appropriate teaching of your own. That's important. I know that you do VBS in the summer. You do a Wednesday night program for your kids. And these are there in order to add to and enhance 
what parents are already doing in the home. It doesn't take the place of what they're doing, but it builds upon it and it enhances it. Now, youth ministry gives teenagers the opportunity to come alongside their peers to learn and to worship together again through activities that fit their age appropriateness. It allows them to do activities with teenagers outside of these church walls, and those opportunities are important. Another thing that's really important is that youth and children's ministries, they allow the church to add to the number of adults that are pouring into your students' lives. That's important. Um, I know as students get older, they are making more and more decisions for themselves. And you can work together to help build a foundation of faith for them. You know that our teenagers, when they get to that age, the responsibility for their own spiritual development shifts to them. And I know that's a scary thought. I tell you, as a youth pastor, one of the things that was the hardest for me was when I couldn't make decisions for my students. Because you look at you lives and you look at their lives and you think it would be so much easier if you would just do this. It would be so much easier if you would just make better decisions. But the truth is that responsibility shifts to them. And so it's vitally important for us to give them the best chance that they have and to give them every opportunity to grow and to learn. And I think that's the reason I love teenagers is because they are able to take care of themselves. They are able to have intelligent conversations. They're able to try new things. They like to try new things. And they don't always make the best decisions, but they always make fun decisions. And they're right there on the cusp of adulthood. They're maneuvering through that transition, becoming independent, making their own way through life. And these students need our support. We need to give them every opportunity. You know, so often we hear the expression that our kids are the church of tomorrow. And while that's true, I always want to say, please finish that sentence. Because our students are the church of today. It is a valid thing to say that our church, our teenagers and our, our children are the church of today because they are here, right? They are here and they're a vital part of your church. They are smart and they're capable and they're filled with immeasurable potential. And they need to hear regularly that God loves them and that God has a plan for them. And that's what youth and children's ministry is all about. It's about discovering the spiritual needs of your families and coming alongside them to help to meet those needs. I want us to take a quick look in the book of Deuteronomy. There's an account of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And I'm looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6 right now. Moses has just read the commandments to the Israelites. And then he goes on in verse 6 and he says this. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. This gives a very a visible picture of what scripture looks like. God is asking the people to immerse themselves in his word. He's asking them to not only teach it to their children, to repeat it again and again, and to talk to them during the everyday tasks of life. It's our job to pass on the truths of the Bible to our children. And being intentional about this means, again, coming alongside your families, 
to enhance and support their efforts, to teach our kids what it means to be loved by God and also what it means to love others. Now, I know you're getting ready to bring on Dara as your new youth pastor. I know that you already have Carrie, who's leading up your kids' ministries. And these people serve as the leaders in those areas. They are the visible presence of those ministries. They are the faces of those ministries. They are the go-to people for those areas of ministry. But if I may just advocate for them for just a moment, I just want to remind you that just because they're here and that's their job, just because you have a full-time youth pastor, it doesn't mean you're getting a one-man or one-woman show, does it? It doesn't mean that they're supposed to do it all. Because yes, they invest in your kid's life and they love your students. But the primary role that they have is to be a catalyst for the ministry. It's to help you as volunteers to come in and serve, to encourage and support you. It's to help new volunteers to find their place. Their role is to find ways for you to come together so that your ministry can learn to function at its highest capacity. So cheer them on as they lead those areas so that your team can work together to, for the highest function for the kingdom of God. You know, I hope that you're excited, Monroe City. I hope you're excited about this new full-time person who's coming on board because it means new life. It means new beginnings. It means a continuation of the ministry that's already been, been sustained by the good work that Megan's been doing, the work that Justin's been doing over the past few months. But it means that growth is coming. It means that new leadership is coming. And I pray that God will honor your decision to do that. You know, Justin first told me, we're getting ready to hire a part-time youth pastor. And then it wasn't long after that when he said, we're going for it. We're going for full time. I commend that decision. It's an exciting thing because here is the hard truth. Ministry to the next generation is vital. And without it, the church will cease to exist. Youth and family ministries, without that, the church will cease to exist. And we know we don't want that to happen. So my next question for you then is, what roles do we play in youth and children's ministry? As I stated before, I believe that every single person has the ability to impact the next generation. There's a role for everyone to play in our youth and children's ministry. Now, I don't want anybody to panic because there's probably somebody here that says, I do not like kids of any age, so don't look at me. I know there are those people who do not like kids. But there are so many different ways that you might not have even considered, ways to be directly and indirectly involved. And it starts with something that every single person can do. It starts with prayer. And I know that that's a cliche answer. It might be a churchy answer, but it's true. Because no other role in youth and children's ministry is as powerful as prayer. Because it might seem like a small thing to do to say, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for our students, I'm praying for our kids. But in all actuality, it's the greatest thing you can do. Because when we pray, God works, right? So that's the most important thing you can do. Our church in Westfield recently did a book study. We were looking at the book, Win the Day, by Mark Batterson. And one chapter talks about seeding the clouds. It's this practice of putting chemicals in the clouds, actually from an airplane in the sky, to try to promote rain in areas where there's extreme drought. It's a practice that they're doing even today. And there was a quote in the Batterson book that said this. It said, seeding clouds, when speaking about the church, seeding clouds 
is dreaming big and thinking long, and it starts with praying hard. Don't underestimate the power of one brave prayer. Are you able to pray bravely for your kids? You may not be able to chase them around the classroom. You may not have any desire to chase them around the classroom. But if you're able to pray, that is step number one. Everybody can do that. There are other things that you're doing already to impact the next generation that you might not even realize. Are you ready for this truth? They are watching you. The next generation is watching you. And whether you realize it or not, you're setting an example before them. And it impacts what they feel about church. It impacts what they think a Christ follower should look like. Our students are watching you. So what kind of example are you setting before them? I have a friend who tells a story. I love this story. She had a little girl. Um, she didn't think anything about the way she got ready for work in the morning. Every morning, mommy gets for work and she holds up her mirror. And she's looking in. She has a mirror back here, right? Fixing the back of her hair. Come, you ladies do that. I know some of you do that. I do that. You hold up the mirror. You see the back of your hair. Because you know all of it has to look good, right? Before you can walk out the door. She did this every day, getting ready for work. Never thought a thing about it. Until one day, she saw her daughter, who's a toddler, two years old in the bathroom, holding up mommy's mirror, and she's doing this. Now, this child is two years old. She's probably looking at the back of the sink, right? Where she's looking at the wall. She doesn't know, she doesn't see anything in that reflection, but she was doing what mommy taught her to do. We don't even realize when they're looking sometimes. My mom tells the story of when I was a kid, we went to an outdoor baptism, and we watched several people being baptized. And she said, we came home and you were sitting at the kitchen table and you were eating a donut and you were dunking the donut in your milk and baptizing it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I had sanctified donuts, guys. I was doing what I had seen. I didn't understand what it meant. I was just a little girl. I don't even remember this moment. But mom loves to tell the story. But that is how I learned that this is what you do. And for some reason, you talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Little did I know that someday I would be baptizing students myself. <laughs> Little did I know I'd be baptizing my own niece in my church. So God has a plan. And we, our kids are looking at us and we need to be aware of that. And be aware of the example that we are passing down to our kids. Another possible role you might, might share with the next generation is sharing your story. I'm someone who believes in the power of story, so much so that in my current ministry, I have about every four to six weeks, I have an adult come in and share their story with my students. Some of you might call that sharing a testimony. I believe that it's important for our students to hear about how knowing Jesus has changed your life, how it's impacted you, how it's encouraged you and built you up and empowered you. I also believe it's important for our students to hear that sometimes we make the wrong decisions and we have consequences to live with because of our sin, that we struggle, that we're not perfect, but that we're trusting God to help us through. I think it's important for students to hear that sometimes life is just hard and things happen that we don't understand. But here's the important thing that we have to tell them. We have to tell them that God is with us through it all. 
You know, we tell our kids about the God of the Bible who always came through. He performed miracles. We think about the Israelites in the desert. When they were in the desert, it was hard. It was a struggle. They were there wandering for 40 years. But while they were there, God parted the waters for them. God fed them with manna from heaven. God gave them water from the rock. God allowed them to defeat their enemies. He brought them to, through to the promised land because he promised to do so. And what we forget to tell our kids is that that same God is with us today. That same God is giving us victory all around us today. We sang two songs today about victory. Did you catch that? One of them said, I'm going to see the victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. We forget that that same God is with us now. And if we can tell our kids that God brought me through this journey, God showed me his faithfulness through this journey, if we tell them what God has done for us, then they can believe that God will do the same thing for them. It's important to share our stories. Maybe your role with a student will be to be a mentor. Another thing I'm passionate about is mentorship. Besides their parents and family members, imagine if every teenager in your church who wanted a mentor had another trusted adult who touched base with them on Sunday mornings, who came to their ball games and attended their events, an adult who showed interest in them in what their personal interests were, the things that were important in their lives. A big part of mentoring is just praying with and for students. It's doing real life things with them. You know that scripture back in Deuteronomy where God said, talk about it as you walk down the road? Being a mentor is that. It's talking to them while you do life. I've taken students with me to the carpet place to pick out carpet for my living room. And we talked about life and how you make decisions and how you budget and how you plan for things like that. You can take a mentor through your everyday life and just talk to them about what it means to count on God, even through everyday life. Another possible role that might fit you is supporting our volunteers. Maybe you're, per you're that person who doesn't like to be with kids hands-on, but maybe you're someone who has the gift of encouragement and you would be able to send a thank you note or just say thank you to somebody. It's always good to hear the, word, the words of thank you. I know there are lots of logistical roles in children's ministry and youth ministry, helping with running copies and running errands and passing out supplies. There are roles like assisting teachers with crafts or with games, preparing snacks. If you feed them, they will come. It's like the youth ministry motto. Can you prepare snacks for kids? Are you able to help kids keep their fingers out of their noses? <laughs> and speaking of that, can you help clean the toys? Sanitize the toys and help clean the area so it's safe for our children. Do you love singing? Could you help lead some songs and teach our kids how to worship? Do you enjoy being with teenagers? Do you have a flexible schedule where you can chaperone an event that's out of town? There are people who don't have that kind of flexibility. Maybe that's something you can do. Maybe you're blessed financially and you're able to help with scholarship money so that students can go to events like camps and conventions. There are so many ways that you can serve. And I want to tell you another thing that's maybe one of the simplest, but one of the most important. And that is to learn their names. Think about even the smallest kids in your church. At a very young age, one of the first words they learn is their name. Do you know what it means when an adult comes up to a little child and knows them by name? 
It allows them to be seen. It allows them to know that they're important. So I challenge you to learn their names, give them a high five or a hug, and greet them by name when you see them here in your church or in your community. If you can learn even five names, maybe you say, I'm bad with names, Tammy. Can you learn five? Can you just learn five names? And that's a good place to start. Greet them by name. Let them know you see them and that they matter to you and to the church. Now, some of you have teaching abilities, but maybe that's one of the most intimidating positions in a youth or children's ministry. And let me tell you, whenever I have an opportunity to speak, it weighs heavily on me. Pastor Justin and I were talking about this last night. I don't like to preach because it's hard work. And the preparation part I take very seriously. And I always think about this scripture in 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When I read those words, an approved worker who correctly handles the word of truth, that sounds so daunting to me and so overwhelming to me. But if I can offer my personal interpretation of that verse... As far as approval goes, I believe that teachers gain approval by God through their faith in him. Because how can you teach about a God you don't know? So I believe that your faith in Jesus Christ is the most important thing that qualifies our teachers. And as far as correctly handling God's word, of course we should strive to have knowledge of the word. And of course we should study the word. And what we don't know, we can find out. It's okay to say, I don't know, but I will find out. But do you have to be a biblical scholar to teach? No, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. And if you're still intimidated and you're thinking, what if I say something wrong? What if I interpret something incorrectly? Well, consider this. Human mistakes have no effect on the promises of God. So even if you misinterpret or misquote scripture, even if you were to intentionally misinterpret scripture, you do not have the power to destroy it. So let that pressure just come off. You don't have the power to destroy God's word. It is enduring and his truth will always be his truth. So if we wisely do our best to share God's word, God will honor that and God will teach us as we teach others. And one final thing I'll say to those of us who teach and feel that weight, if you're feeling inadequate, you're in the right place. One of my ministry friends said that to me years ago, and it stuck with me. If you're feeling inadequate, you're in the right place because it means you're trusting in God to provide. Because we know we can't effectively provide youth and children's ministry without God's help and without God's blessing. Another scripture that's helpful to me is when people ask what's your favorite scripture, this is the one I pull out, and it might be an odd one. But it's 1 Corinthians 3, 7, and this is what it says. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So we can do the work, we can be obedient, but we are not responsible for the results. It is God who makes things grow, which is why we can't take any pride in it, right? Because God makes things grow. We are his humble servants. And he takes our obedience, he takes our efforts, he blesses them, and he brings about change and makes a difference in the lives of our kids. I want to close with you with a story because I believe in the power of story, about a man named James Hudson Taylor. 
James was born in Yorkshire, England. He was the son of a Methodist preacher. And from birth, his parents prayed that God would use their son as a missionary. At the age of four years old, I want you to think about a four-year-old that you know. Get somebody in mind. At the, name, at the age of four years old, James declared one day, when I am a man, I will go to China and tell people about Jesus. I don't know any four-year-olds who talk like that. But as James became a teenager, he pushed those things aside. He was more interested in money and hanging out with his friends. So he accepted a job at a bank as a junior clerk. He was a little bit rebellious. He got in with the wrong crowd, got into some trouble. But again, at the age of 17, God got a hold of him. And James again told his parents, I really believe God is calling me to China. So by the age of 21, James was on his way to China, where he would serve as a missionary for 51 years. And during that time, he learned Mandarin, he translated the Bible into Chinese, he established multiple churches, and he recruited more than 800 additional missionaries to come to the continent of China, to the country, it's not a continent, to the country of China in Asia. And it's estimated that James baptized over 50,000 people during those 51 years of ministry. That's 1,000 people a year that James personally baptized, and most of them he personally introduced those people to Jesus. Now, why do I tell James' story? First, because it starts with parents' prayer. And I said, prayer is the most important thing that we can do for our kids. Secondly, because as a four-year-old, and again as a 17-year-old, James listened to God's voice. I went to an ordination retreat for Church of God years ago when I was in the process of being ordained. And where I was actually held at Camp Challenge. And I was sitting around the table with all these different people. And when, when we got to go around and tell, where did you call to ministry? Where were you saved? How did you get to know Jesus? There were more than half of the people in that room had either accepted Jesus at church camp or had experienced their call to ministry at church camp. Which means they were children. Or they were teenagers. Teenagers and kids do grow up to change the world. And these formative years are important. And every opportunity we can give them matters. The other reason I chose James' story is because I came across a quote that I love that's been my mantra as I'm beginning a new ministry in a, in a new church. This quote says that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And so when I think of Monroe City, I know that you have needs in your children's area, and you've already been talking about that. I don't know what your greatest needs are, but God is able to provide. And it's not always comfortable to do kids' ministry. Sometimes it's messy and chaotic, but man, is it rewarding. And the payoff is worth it. And so I know that you were given a piece of paper today when you came in. You can grab that piece, that half sheet of paper now. And this is a list that your leadership team came up with of different possible ways where you could serve in youth and children's ministry. And so what I want to encourage you to do is put your name on that, put your information on there, fill that out, check off the things that you feel you're passionate about, things you feel like you could do well, things that you're willing to do. And if there's one that comes to the top that you say, man, this is my wheelhouse. I could do this and knock it out of the park and score a 10 out of 10. 
Mark that in a special way. Put a number one, circle it, something. So your leadership will know the area you feel most passionate about. If you check more than one, that's great too. But let us know. Indicate to your leadership what areas you feel God might be calling you to. And God will provide if we are obedient and if we are willing to serve. So my challenge to you today is just be obedient. The word calling gets passed around a lot, you know. Somebody's called to ministry. Somebody's called to missions. My belief is that everyone is called and the call is to obedience. Whatever that might mean, just be obedient to God and he will honor it. Let me pray for you this morning. God, you are good. You are a God who already knows how you're going to fill the positions where help is needed in different areas. God, you have a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. You have a plan and a purpose for every child that's in MC Kids right now. You have a plan and a purpose for every teenager who calls this place their church home. And God, we can only dream what those plans might be. And the truth is, your dreams are bigger than ours. And you will send people further and more than we ever dreamed. So thank you, God, for dreaming big for us when we can't dream for ourselves. Thank you for providing. Thank you for loving us and for your presence here today. In Jesus' name we pray.